This is the MyMac Podcasting Network. Hi, everyone. I'm Gaz Maz from the Gaz in the Gaz and Guy show over at the MyMac.com podcast. And I'm stepping in this week because, well, he's in the executive bathroom now, or washroom, I should say, that Tim Robertson. Yeah, you can't trust these executives these you've days. You've changed, man. You've yeah, changed. You've changed, you see. So I'm stepping in for Tim this week. And that's tech fan number 29. So welcome everybody. Yes, as, as Gaz just explained, um, I'm running the show today, um, hence like, probably a bit more disorganised than normal, though probably less disorganised than the last time I did a show, and Tim just posted it all up to the internet. I don't hold it against you, Tim, don't worry. Uh, and as you heard in the intro, I'm joined by Gaz from the MyMac podcast. Hi, Gaz. Good evening, afternoon, morning, Where, whenever you're listening to this podcast. <laughs> well, let's face it, it's probably a bit earlier than when you normally record a show with, uh, oh. with Guy. <laughs> It's bliss. It's light outside. I can see clouds and blue sky and everything. Absolutely. And, and uh, Gaz and I are both coming towards the end of a... Of a I don't know if you found this, um, Gaz. We're obviously, uh, being both Brits, we've got the Royal Wedding tomorrow, which means we've got the day off. Um, but as we had a bank holiday at the beginning of the week, it was a short week. Is that good for you or bad for you? Um, this week it's been bad for me. Um, but no, a short week's always a good... It's always good for you. Well, really, do you not? It? Do you not find you end up doing five days work in three? Uh, <laughs> it, that, it has. That, it has been a little bit like that. Yeah, I must admit. That's pretty much my my week as well. So <laughs> I, 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 it is very tempting when you're uh, people are expecting things from you this week to kind of say, "Oh, you know what? Nobody's around. I can't get anything done. They're all on holiday." So uh, well, you have to, to wait to the end of next week. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Well, to a certain degree, that a little bit of that's gone on anyway because. I do an awful lot with uh, uh, Europe, Middle East, and Africa, and, and the majority of the work comes out of Europe. And most of those seem to have been on holiday anyway, so it's not been too bad. Uh, but don't tell anyone. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But we'll both be um, sat in front of our TVs tomorrow, waving our Union Jacks. and uh, yeah, oh, We'll stand up and salute in the right places. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely, yes. It's a, it's a fine day to be British tomorrow. Um, I'm fully expecting it to rain. <laughs> I'm hoping it will. Yeah, well, it won't be a bank holiday without yeah, that wedding. Dis- and, and it certainly won't be a wedding without it being raining. No, no, it'll be a disappointment if it doesn't rain. <laughs> okay. We're probably giving away far too many cultural stereotypes with this conversation, so let's uh, move swiftly on. So, um, obviously here on TechFan we cover a slightly wider beat than, than you, do, you guys do over at MyMac. Um, yeah, so uh, there's been quite a lot of stuff in this week. Uh, this week. I'm surprised, actually, by... Uh, how much this has blown up into a big story. This has been like leading the BBC News and Sky News and everything. And this is what transpired from a what would have initially appeared to be an outage of the PlayStation Network to <laughs> actually turning out to be uh, pretty much a catastrophe on the PlayStation Armageddon. Network. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So uh, for those those people who've been living under a rock and haven't heard this story, um, PlayStation Network went down last week. Uh, and uh, I, th- I think Tim and I made an oblique reference at the end of last show. 
Um, and it transpires that the reason it went down wasn't because of a, of a fault or maintenance or anything like that. It's because they've been pretty majorly hacked. And they've now kind of grudgingly come out and said, um, oh, by the way, uh, we've probably leaked your username, your passwords, your email address, oh, and maybe your credit card number as well. Uh, yeah, I mean, I can't, I can't see why the press are going so heavy on it. Really. No, I know it's really barely worth getting out of bed for. But uh, seventy-five million users, and uh, those of them who are not—I mean, obviously, not everybody who's on the network necessarily has a credit card filed with it. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think you necessarily need to log a credit card to use the service. Uh, and I would imagine plenty of kids use it with kind of uh, cards and game cards and gift vouchers and that sort of thing, rather than necessarily having a a credit card locked in it, but there's a heck of a lot of people who do. Yeah, uh, it's it, it's actually, I was having the conversation with someone at work today because, yeah, this has certainly hit, you know, the headlines and it, people that have got no idea what the, um, it's, is it PSN it's called? PSN, yeah, PlayStation PSN. Network. Yeah. <clears throat> and, um, you know, people who've never heard of it before now certainly do um, and certainly <laughs> know the name Sony in a, relatively bad way but i was having a discussion with the guy this morning and we were talking about the options uh you know how either not so much how sony could get around it but how you know payment it just goes to show you how dangerous it is to have your card and just you know put it online and i heard i can't remember where i heard it now but i heard the possibility that you know perhaps they should go down the line of saying i have a credit card uh, and as a sub number of that credit card, I'm going to give this particular number to Sony, Amazon, any other online retailer that I use on a regular basis. And only that company can then use that particular credit card reference number, um, which, you know, could be a way of then securing um, details that you just store online uh, for regular regular use. But, you know, he then went on to say, well, why not? organize a direct debit you know some sort of direct debit which you know you, you authorize the that particular company to take from your account um on a direct debit basis but oh, yeah, i mean but there's they hack if they hacked the database and got your yeah. bank account details via a direct debit that'd be even worse well you, you, that's that's the problem if it yeah that that's very true so that's where my thought process of you know having like a uh, a sub number on your credit card which only that particular retailer could use i mean it's I, yeah there's a there's a more fundamental issue though isn't it because obviously oh yes, that yes. that would that that would that would require the financial services industry to set up something in response to the fact that sony can't protect their mm-hmm. database agreed um and you know i'm sure they would say well what's in it for us to to go through those sorts of hoops. Well, um, what, what's in it for? I, I mean, our discussion actually went on, to, and we. I was saying, well, you know, I I would fully expect the you know the financial industry to be hitting Sony hard because, you know, ultimately we're going to be the ones that pay for it in higher fees at the end of the day. But there are going to be an awful lot of people <laughs> saying, ah, yeah, my credit card was in there, and that's an unauthorized payment. That's an unauthorized payment. Yeah, I mean, obviously, the the thing with a credit card is that if if you are become aware that it's being used fraudulently, you um, notify your credit card company, and they kind of pretty much swallow the cost of those fraudulent transactions. Yep. Um, so they will bear some cost from that. I would imagine they will be looking to Sony for um, for some recompense if that actually happens. I mean, it's, it's important to stress at this point: Sony believes that some of these numbers may have been stolen. Um, they don't know 
for definite that they have, and they don't no. know how many have, and we don't know who has stolen them. It could just be somebody who's out for kicks rather than somebody who's out for uh, financial gain. So it's not it's not it's not necessarily um, certain that that financial fraud is going to result of this, but you just don't know, and you have to assume the worst case really. What and I, I, find- su- I suppose the worst the worst part of the scenario is the fact that they've got your name, your address, your date of birth, which can be used equally badly. Absolutely. Um, you know, uh, I, I, what I find slightly disturbing about this whole thing is that this is Sony we're talking about. Now, obviously, uh, any company can make mistakes and anybody can have technological failures. And, you know, plenty of, you know, governments have, you know, the... Uh, the Home Office here in the in the UK Department of Work and Pensions lost uh, a couple of years ago pretty much everybody's uh, child benefit details and anybody in the UK who gets um, who has children gets child benefit and that included bank account details and this the uh, state of Texas I think lost the social security numbers and, and names and addresses of pretty much every state employee in the state recently um, so you know the any organisation can suffer a security breach and. Exposition this way, but what I find interesting about this one is it's Sony, and Sony are very big on DRM when it's in their favour. <laughs> you know, <laughs> good encrypt, point. Encrypt it up, lock good it up. Point. You know, yeah. if, if you want to buy Sony content, you know, for years, many many years, all their stuff has has had a, a very heavy layer of, of encryption to try and incom- well, certainly to inconvenience the user in the interest of trying to protect their intellectual property. So I do find it slightly ironic that um, that they yes, allow that they've, they've allowed our intellectual way. property to go astray quite so easily. Yes, absolutely. What I what I really bothers me about this story is not the fact that the breach is you know quite as as difficult as as horrible as it is, and you know we're talking about a huge number of people here. The fact that this breach has occurred is bad enough, but the the wider impacts to um, the perception of the a the tech community and b the gaming community by people yeah. who aren't in the know. It, as as you you know, as we said, it's on the news. Um, it's a lead story on many major news organisations. So for people who don't know anything about tech, uh, don't know anything about the gaming industry, they're going to kind of you know they're just going to put it in a little box which says, "Don't touch it with the barge pole." And and it's not just tech and the gaming industry it's well i suppose you include being going online as being tech but a lot of people don't these days david it's you know it's it's part of your everyday process that you can go online and shop and an awful lot of people do that and this this breach <laughs> the perception is at the moment that they have lost lots of data and that they have lost card data irrespective of whether they have or they haven't um and people that would perhaps occasionally or you know have now got into the routine of going online and spending money online are going to be thinking you know they're going to think twice about it and so it could have as you say a much wider impact on um the internet and sales on the internet absolutely i know plenty of people who are wary of shopping on the internet because of of horror stories and and this is the ultimate horror story yeah um having said that i think many non-technical people will not associate a gaming network with the internet um, and may possibly think, okay, well, you know, this is only a, a problem if you use a PlayStation console uh, and therefore if you're doing something else um, on the network which isn't a PlayStation console, then the risk is lower. It's hard to see really. I mean, obviously the, the way that... I would, I would agree with you if the news agencies were saying the PlayStation network, but they're not. They're saying 
Sony have lost it, and everybody, yes. you know, everybody knows Sony, don't they? In and and I, I, I must admit, part of what kind of bothered me about this is, is when I first heard about it, I thought, well, why, why is is that particular console just communicating over the internet? You know, it would be trivial to build into, uh, to build into, you know, any particular set of devices. You're going to connect back to a to a a central server, it would be trivial to encrypt that traffic and actually have a private network, a virtual private network for that, rather than having these servers directly up on the internet. Um, and I, I, I just, it, it did occur to me when I first heard this, I thought, why did Sony actually build the architecture that way, where effectively their servers are public? Well, it, it, it obviously, <laughs> they obviously had their reasons. I can put a 10 to 1 bet on that cost was part of it. Maybe, or maybe just they just assumed that was the simplest way of doing it. I don't know. I, I heard one podcast say, actually, that they've probably spent over the last uh, few days more on lawyers um, than they spent on security in the first place, which could well be a true statement. I, I would expect so. You know, I would imagine the, uh, the class action lawyers are sharpening their, uh, sharpening their pencils yeah, as well, we speak, yeah. really. Well, I've got to, I've, I think I heard in the news that someone's already put something in. So, you know, it's not going to take long. It's not going to yeah, take long. Yeah. It's, either way, it's, it's, it's not great. I mean, the, the, the system's still down. Um, it's looking like it's going to be down for a good long while yeah. while they try and close, close whatever holes they have. And, of course, we, you know, we, we have no idea at this point whether the um, whether the hack was trivial, whether their security was trivial, or whether actually you know this is something you know you might see out of a um, you know a, a master kind of movie script where yeah. this was something very very clever and very very sophisticated. Well, it, Sony were really buttoned up, you know, and still got caught. We don't know. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that we we spoke about this morning, this um, you know my work colleague, we, we you know he was saying, well, I wonder who's doing it, whether it's an individual, and I said, well, you know, it's probably a mafia type organization because you know they don't go around robbing banks anymore they do it you know there's lots more you know ways of being able to do um nefarious nefarious things without getting caught and um you know this is one of them so it wouldn't surprise me if this was uh, a racket that was going on certainly i suspect we'll never know i i suspect the same i it, one thing that um Ah, now where was I going with that? One thing that we did talk about as well, and this was, and and I'm I'm not having a go at the Japanese culture here, but he mentioned to me, he said, do you remember the Toyota brake issue? He said that that was kind of put under the carpet for a little bit until they could perhaps see if they could organize it or, you know, sort it out internally before they let everyone know. And I'm not sure how true that was, because although I remember about the Toyota brake issue on the cars, um, you know, it, it... I can't remember whether it was hidden under the carpet until they thought they'd got something organized before they then, you know, let it out. And he said this was kind of a, a similar thing in in his eyes, in the fact that, you know, it was known for a week before they actually, you know, let the news out of the bag. Um, and yeah, he, he wondered yeah. whether it's a Japanese trait that, you know, they try and get things fixed internally before, you know, informing the general public. No, I don't I, know. I actually did... Is. I actually did tweet something on the, on a similar vein. If you look at the way um, the way the Fukushima nuclear incident has been handled, the, you know, yeah. it did it. Now you've you've got. Uh, let me caveat this. First of all, let me caveat this to all of our listeners, especially listeners in Japan, saying I'm not trying to make um, uh, make a any sort of broad 
cultural or racial point by by sort of saying saying this because I'm very conscious that sometimes the way things are reported aren't necessarily the way things are communicated. Yeah. Okay. But certainly the way it was reported, uh, the way the communications happened through the media, um, and with the, with the Sony incident with Fukushima. With the Toyota thing as well for a while, it did kind of have this kind of snowball effect where it seemed to be getting larger and larger. There was more recalls as time yes. went on. Yes. Um, it, it comes across that, um, that there is initially, there's a very limited information and then the information comes out and dribs and drabs and it does appear to be kind of being, you know, give away the bare minimum and, you know, oh, now we've got to expose a bit more because it's obvious that there's something else going on. Now we've got to expose a bit more because it's obvious something else going on. And look at Fukushima, for example. You know, there was a small leak of radioactivity. There was a slightly larger leak of radioactivity. Oh, dear, building's blown up. You know, <laughs> that might yeah. be more radioactive. You know, I mean, it, it kind of came across like that. And I'm not saying that, that anybody was trying to withhold information. Obviously, these situations are very, very fluid. And, you know, there's nobody sat in the middle who has command of all the information, under, well, understanding not, what's I'm- going on. I'm not saying that informing yeah. everybody straight away is the best way to go anyway. No, absolutely. You know, yeah. you know it, it could be the, the way to go that you try and then minimize it so you can try and, and grab that data back, for example, in this case. And, and it, it you know, could, but, could well be that Sony, you know, first of all, the network goes down because of a hack. They've no idea what's going on. They're looking through the logs. They're trying to figure out what's going on. And, of course, if the thing's still being hacked while they're doing that, then it makes it very difficult to, you know, respond um, because the, the systems are falling over while the hack's going on. You know, yep. it's denial of service or a, a large amount of, of traffic coming in and, and that sort of thing. So it could well be that it took them a while to actually figure out that the information had been stolen and that yes. they worked through what it is. But, but nevertheless, you do kind of get the impression, because the, 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 the Japanese is, uh, culture is very much, you know, about honour and face and that sort of thing, you know how things look. You do it. It does. It does seem possible that that people might not want to, you know, fess up about information as quickly as they could because they are worried about perception. Yeah. Um, and obviously, for a big corporate organisation, um, then that perception is very important because it has, you know, it can hit stock price, it can hit sales, it can hit that sort of thing. And, and we know for a fact it's been reported for for many years that often banks and things do get hacked and they just don't tell anybody because they don't want that perception to be out there. Yes. But I, I, I'm just wondering if we're getting to, if, if there's, there's some lessons that as a community, I'm not talking about just the tech community, but you know, that as the public in general can learn out of this now, which first of all is that um, you know, these things are happening. Um, anytime you store your data electronically somewhere, then there is a risk that it can be compromised via accidental design and you need to accept that risk and and not put too much trust in um in the systems and the people running those systems so so how would you get around it what you know would you look at you know having uh, a credit card which has a very low you know to try and you know to try and help yourself because obviously business in general wants very little in the way of restrictions because that yeah. certainly helps them when it comes to you wanting to buy stuff. There are, uh, look, f- first of all, the credit card industry is already, you know, credit cards are fairly safe in that even yes. if the number gets off, out away from you, the credit card industry is already geared up for writing off debts that come from fraud. You know, that's one of the reasons that built into the cost of credit card transactions is the fact that, you know, the credit card companies know there's a certain amount of fraud. And we've all had those phone calls where, you know, 
you go and buy a tank of petrol and then go buy a pair of shoes or something like that. Or, you know, you, you suddenly buy something large on the internet and then you get a phone call from your credit card company saying, was this actually you? You know, if you've ever taken a credit card that you use in the UK and, and suddenly go overseas with it and then use it a couple of times, you'll suddenly find the things blocked. because That, well, that, that exact thing happened yeah, to me when I went yeah. to the US recently. So, so, so we do understand that the credit card industry is geared up for a certain amount of fraud, and that is a protection to the consumer as much as a protection to themselves. So, you know, credit cards in themselves are fairly safe, as long as you keep an eye on your statements and keep, keep a good idea about what's going on. But secondly, if you, if you want to get away from credit cards, there are services that, that could be used. I mean, they could, they could take PayPal, for instance, working on the assumption that, that PayPal linked to your bank account, your credit card account, is safer as a proxy than actually having the, the numbers stored in multiple places. It's, it's stored in one place, and you would hope that PayPal, being a financial services company, are inherently better and safer at uh, managing your data than, than Sony themselves are. <laughs> yeah, you would you know? hope so. You would the hope flip so. side of that, of course, is you're putting all your eggs in one basket, one basket there, yes. and, you know, PayPal is not a cheap service to use if you use it heavily, as, no, as I do. Is, uh, yes. you know? So... Uh, there are ways around there's pros and There's pros and yeah. cons in, I th- in But I think what we need to accept, and this is the, what the second, um, for me, far wider point, is that um, companies need to understand how to respond to these incidents because they are going to happen. And everybody needs to build a policy and protocol that says, when we suffer a data loss or when we suffer a potential data loss, this is how we're going to let people know. Rather than it being, you know, every time a network goes down, you wonder whether it's because of uh, a crash or whether it's actually because of an attack. Yeah. And, and I think, I, I, I hope that this raises the issue with other larger companies to make them think that, hang on a minute, this isn't our data. It's someone else's data and we have got to be extremely protective of it. Yeah. Whether it's just a name and address and a password, but to have, you know, all of the details that they had, um, you know, hacked, and uh, out in the wild somewhere out there is is uh, it's frightening. It is frightening. It is, but I, I think you know we've got to keep it in perspective. There, I think it still remains the case nowadays that it's far easier for your credit card data to be stolen in a restaurant than it is online. Um, and the internet, yeah, no, I agree with I agree with yeah. that. I agree with that. But and, and I think we've you know pretty much come to the point that we're pretty happy with the way the credit card goes and the, the protection that they give us but it, it's it's that um personal information and identity is, theft yeah, which is right. is probably the, the 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 biggest possible issue that could come across because you know you you've heard about these people that had debts against them they've suddenly found that they can't get any credit and they yeah. they, they it's not them that's been making the transaction it's because their their identity has been stolen and there there is a there is also an aspect of that as well it's all we're all saying that you know the, the level of risk is very low but it, it it still still hits you like a sledgehammer if it happens to you you know it's, yes, i always true. think that with it you know when they say that that air travel is statistically the safest way to travel i always think probably not much comfort if you're in an airliner that's on its way down no. <laughs> thinking well oh i'm really really unlucky to be on this plane because <laughs> most people are okay <laughs> Not much comfort, so, uh, so yeah. yeah I, I'm sure. I'm sure this story will continue. There are a lot of worse things happening in life. Uh, we agree that pro, from a from a from a tech from a tech perspective, I think this is quite a biggie. Yeah, absolutely, and I'm sure it will continue to develop. So we'll 
we'll see which way it goes and and uh, see what the ultimate impact is to Sony and to uh, to everyone else. I'll tell you what, I bet, I bet the Xbox Live people are rubbing their hand. Yeah, well, <laughs> well, yeah, I can imagine. One question for you then. Yeah. Do you use the service? I, I don't. I don't have a PlayStation Three. Uh, I do have an Xbox, but I've never. I've never really played online with it. I, I just I, and, I mean, and the funny me, thing is, you you said that you bet the Xbox uh, Live people are rubbing their hands. They might also be going, "Oh no," because now people are thinking, "I'm not putting my details in there." It could could be that. I mean, I would imagine plenty of people who have online um, take credit cards online will be, will be taking a long hard look at their security um, as a result of that. But uh, yeah, it, it it will be interesting to see how this affects um, consumer confidence in. Not only Sony, but but all of these services in general. I mean, the cloud is something people talk about an awful lot, but this might put people off. So we'll see. Yep. yep. Right. Well, we're going to take a break. I'm sure there is a, another podcaster on this network who is desperate to tell you all about what they do and what they talk about. So let's have a message from them and we'll be back very, very shortly. Looking for in-depth coverage of the Mac universe? How about hard-hitting interviews with industry leaders with all the questions you want to ask? Or detailed product reviews for programs costing thousands of dollars? Then you should definitely find something other than the MyMac.com podcast. The MyMac.com podcast is the show for every Mac user. Fun, entertaining, with news, reviews, and interviews with people just like you who want more from a podcast than just talking heads. Find us on iTunes by doing a search for my Mac and get ready for a good time. I used to like talking heads. That we are. I don't know who that was you've heard because I've not put it in the show yet. But <laughs> whoever it is, I'm sure they're a bang up podcaster. And <laughs> I urge you to go and listen to their show right away. Yeah, I love it. After we finish listening to this one. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, just hang hang around for a little bit longer. Just, well, you can, I mean, you can pause this show and go yes. and listen to that other podcast, but please make sure you come back and listen to the rest of this one. <laughs> there could be something really important before the end of this broadcast. I'm sure there will be. <laughs> I'll think of something anyway. <laughs> and if you don't, I'll find something. Right, fair enough then. <laughs> That's a commitment. You heard it here. Right, so, um, Gaz, we've been bantering back and forth on Twitter, and, and I know you and Guy talked about this uh, at length a few weeks ago, about your massive iPhoto library <laughs> and what you need to do about it. Yeah, yeah. You see, I, the problem I've got is I quite like iPhoto. I like its interface. I like what it can do for me. And it's, you know, since it's had a few upgrades, it seems to be able to handle the 20-odd thousand photos that I've got. Um you know, perhaps that's too many for it. I agree, but I, um, it, it it's it's something which I like using. I just like the interface. Perhaps I'm used to it. I'm a you know stick in the mud. So what what let, let's let's get this down to broad tax. What do you actually use it for? I use it for managing my fo- my photos. Before before I went over to the Mac, I used Elements, and I lo- I loved Elements on the PC. Mm-hmm. And when I moved over to the Mac, I, I got a copy, uh, an early copy of Adobe Elements for the Mac. And it was rubbish. I hated yeah. it. I think this is awful. And so I started using iPhoto. And I basically just use it as a management tool. I use it to look at the slides. I use it to edit the slides. I use it to highlight the slide, uh, the pictures. Um, I call them slides. How old am I? <laughs> um, <laughs> and it, I, I basically use it as an all-round management tool. Right. Um, now... I did 
early on, there were there were, were a few issues, and I'll come on to the piece of software that you know I'm going to talk about uh, in a little bit. Um, one of the things that we do, and again, this could be something which I shouldn't be doing, but you know, I have these little foibles of mine which I like to you know stick with. Um, you know, stalwart I am. Right. One of the things I do is having several users on this particular Mac, which is the main Mac, Mac Mini, yeah. um, I put on the shared drive the iPhoto library so that everybody has access to all of the photos and can add and adjust them if they need right. to. Uh, and that's one thing which I've done from day one. And it seems to work fairly well, apart from a few glitches, which I'll tell you about as we go on. But everybody has access to the photos, and I've just got one library then. You know, which everybody right. has access to. Now, I did go down the route a couple of times early on because iPhoto couldn't handle the number of photos. Was to you know have a couple of different libraries, but I like everything in one place. I right. you know I tag it, I name it, I make sure that it's got all of the right keywords on it, and if I need to find it, I can use my you know smart albums, etc., 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 and it's all there. Okay, iPhoto manages it in, you know, its own little library, which I know a lot of people don't like. But, I'm, you know, it works for me and it works for us. Now, whether it will continue to work if I get another 20,000 photos in there is, a, is another story. I would suspect not. <laughs> and you're probably right there. Um, yeah. But it's going to take a little while for, for me to get that amount of extra photos into, into the library. But I just like its interface. And I like one of the things I do like with it, David, is its simplicity. Right. Okay, I appreciate and understand all of that. I'm going to play the devil's advocate here. Good man. Say with 20,000 photos, you shouldn't be using iPhoto. And the, the reason for that is that the, I, for all of these programs basically are databases. Yeah. They are database management tools. And what iPhoto does is it actually creates a monolithic database, a single file that's got all your photos in it. Anytime you make a change to that photo, it creates another copy. And if you imagine a, a database as, a, as a, a series of tables, which is what databases are, you'll have a table that says photo name and a, ta- a table entry that says photo name and a table entry that says photo location um, and then probably some, some fields that have the metadata for the photo that talks about where you took it. And, you know, if you've got um, tags and folders and projects and all of that sort of thing. And then you'll have a, a field that actually has the photo data itself in. Um, and the problem with that is that as you put photos into that, that database gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Uh, and, and because it's a, what's called a monolithic database, it's a single big file, it slows down. Uh, and I think what you've, some of the problems you've had in the past have come from the fact that this has started to slow down. Um, and um, you've also got the added complication that you've got multiple people editing it um, rather than a single user editing it, which I'm not really sure iPhoto is probably, while it can do it, I don't think it was ever really designed to do it. And I think the other problem you've got with iPhoto is that, um, like many Apple products, this is a, a, if you take iTunes as another example, this is a product that has been added to and added to and added to over time, and it's now doing things quite different from what it was originally architectured and designed to do. Well, one of those, one of the things that you, you, you mentioned is, and the fact that it's multiple, I had multiple users um, accessing the database. One of the, the, the things that obviously it wasn't designed to do, and that's eminently, <laughs> well, you can see it 
straight away in the fact that when I first moved over, and this was actually a, a query that I put over on a, a couple of other podcasts very early on in my uh, Mac days, and they uh, had one or two people that rang in and said they got the same issue, and that was syncing parts of the iPhoto library to multiple iOS devices on different accounts because the uh, iPhoto library couldn't handle that. And that was why I actually purchased the um, iPhoto library manager, which is the software that I was talking about. Yeah. And And, and, and is that that one of those things that allows you to kind of... um, well, basically, Point what iPhoto at different no, libraries? Well, yes, it can. It can do an awful lot of management of the library from um, and libraries within you know for um, iPhoto. But one of the things it allowed me to do was easily export and link some photos to a separate folder, which I could then uh, easily pick up from the different iOS devices, right? Uh, and then obviously load them on. Yeah. Okay. Um, right, now, so I kind of understand that. So, so, and I can understand, you know, the issue yeah. that that would create in it being a single database and, you know, yeah. a monolithic database, as you so, say. So let the, me, go on. Yeah. Let me talk about the other ways you could, the other programs you could use to kind of manage this now. Well, well let me, let me um, just interrupt you there yeah. and say, and I am certainly looking at the possibility of moving over to probably Aperture, to be perfectly yeah. honest with you. It's likely, you know, I've thought about Lightroom, but it's likely to be Aperture that I, I go over to. And this conversation is certainly something, because I know that you do a lot with photography, is yeah. something I've been looking forward to, to be honest. Yeah. Well, I used to use Lightroom. Uh, I now actually use Aperture, and I'll, I'll, I'll tell you what, why in a minute. But for, for uh, listeners who don't understand what, what Lightroom and Aperture do, they basically, um, they are... Um, iPhoto for semi-professionals. So both programs have a similar sort of ethos. They are designed to allow you to um, catalog and tag and store and edit photos in much the same way you do with iPhoto. But the key difference between between them is that um, these programs do not store the images themselves in the database. They reference the image within the database and the way they work is they actually when you make a change to a file say you crop a, a so you've got a, a large photo of your children and this you know you've taken it on a wide angle and you actually want to do a tight crop so that just the kids are in the middle and you don't want the you know the, if it's anything like photos I often take you don't want the crap lying around your living room you know and the <laughs> toys and the biscuit crumbs and everything that tends to surround my kids oh it gives it atmosphere <laughs> david it gives it leave it in it gives it you atmosphere. Know, yeah but it doesn't doesn't look so good when you want to when you want to put that put that photo on a on a canvas print <laughs> and send it to your parents True enough. um yeah so um you crop that stuff out now under ifo so what it would do is you would do that crop and it would either um discard the information that you've cropped out from the original photo or if you set iPhoto differently, it will create a new copy of the file with just the crop bit in. What um, Lightroom and Aperture do is something different, which is basically what they say is, okay, here's your photo, uh, and here's where your crop is, and they create a database of the change you've made, but they don't actually change the original file. And when you go back to that photo, the, the first thing they do is they load up the photo, and then they apply the database changes to it uh, in real time. So you can see the crop, but any time you kind of go into the crop again, you can adjust it because the rest of the photo is still there in the background. So effectively what, what Lightroom and, and Aperture are is a catalogue of metadata that you apply to the original raw files. Consequently, because they're data, but, and also they're, they're much more modernly architected than iPhoto because they've been built from the ground up, 
Um, consequently, they're much, much faster. They can work much more quickly, and they can do many, many more things than iPhoto and Aperture can do, than iPhoto can do, because they are basically applying changes to an image. One of the key things they can do is they can work with raw files much better than iPhoto can. And a raw file is a file you take with a particularly a, a higher-end camera like a DSLR, but some compact cameras as well. And rather than the camera inside the camera kind of processing the image and you know burning changes into the image as, as it sees fit based on the exposure and what have you, the raw file, as its name implies, actually stores the raw sensor data and then whatever program looks at it kind of renders it. And that allows you to... Um, you know, change the exposure and, and, and the, a lot of information about the file much more flexibly than you can with a JPEG that's kind of has had a whole load of stuff thrown away as part of the rendering process. Yeah. But in your in your um, for your use case, what Aperture or Lightroom would allow you to do would be to um, cope with many many more pictures than you could deal with much more quickly, and also more crucially because. These programs are database programs that apply to images that are already on the drive. Um, it's much easier to split and organize and manage your libraries inside the program. They're all, they're all designed to be able to do that. You can easily carve up your library. So presumably it's doing the same thing. It's referencing, if any, you create any libraries, it, libraries it's just creating exactly. a reference again. But the library than... management and, and the database management is much more mature than it is in iPhoto because it conceptually it's not designed to operate with a, 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 a monolithic single database. Interesting enough, when Aperture was first released, it did operate like that, and they very quickly moved away from it when Lightroom came out. Right. So, um, so you know, now... Don't get me wrong, the interfaces programs are not as simple. And that's something I was going to go on to because one of the things, one of the things that I, I, I said, I think, earlier on is I love iPhoto simplicity. And yeah. I, I have tried um, the trial of um, Aperture a couple of times and I just look at it and think, oh, where have I I've got to now? I've got to sit down and basically learn it. Now, yeah. that isn't an issue for me. It really isn't an issue for me because I will eventually sit down and, and learn it. However... I've got other people that use it, and I'm wondering whether there is a case here for them to be able to access the libraries or me doing some export of the photos um, for them so that they can make adjustments in iPhoto because they will not like Aperture. I know that full stop. But you know what? That's not a problem, and I'll, I'll tell you for why. I told you before that there was some difference between Lightroom and Aperture. The key thing is really Lightroom is a program by Adobe, um, and uh, it came out round a little bit after Aperture, but it kind of does the same thing. The difference between uh, the key difference between um, Lightroom and Aperture is Lightroom being an Adobe application is very is very tightly bound to Photoshop. Um, it works very closely with Photoshop. Some people say that it has a better or a kind of a, a cleaner interface than Aperture. Aperture is is typical Apple way is very flexible. It doesn't allow, it doesn't want to lock you into a particular conceptual workflow. You can do all sorts of things in a picture from any point in the program. Whereas Lightroom is very much modular. So you have a kind of a, a, a management module and then you, have, you flip tabs into a development module to make changes to a photo. And then there's a printing module and all that sort of thing. But the, the, for an iPhoto user, the key thing about Aperture is because it's an Apple program, it integrates into all the other programs on your Mac the same way that iPhoto does. So that is a real benefit to an Apple user in the fact that you can access your Aperture photos from within iTunes. 
you can sync them to your iOS iOS devices because the Aperture Library appears. Do you, in the do you know? The do you know whether you can? Uh, you know, if you had, can you can you do a similar sort of thing to what I'm doing and have a central repository? Coming onto that, uh, good man. That, yeah. Good man. So you can do all of that if you're in Pages or Numbers or something like that, and you want to embed a media image. It will see your Aperture Library in the same way it sees your iPhoto Library. So you have basically you have access to your Aperture pictures. Um, in on on across the Mac in much the same way you have access to your iPhoto pictures. That's a very for me um, was a very strong reason to go to Aperture. It's why I eventually moved from Lightroom to Aperture because I wanted to be able to do that. Yeah. Now the key thing is because it has that level of integration, it's trivial to move photos from your Aperture Master repository into your iPhoto library and back again. You can browse your Aperture libraries from within iPhoto and vice versa. And when you browse, you get a, a kind of a, a thumbnail view of your photos in, your, in, in whatever library you're looking at. And then if you want to move them across, you just drag the ones you want and drag them from one program to another and bang, they're imported. So for you, what you could do is you could have a workflow where you're the Aperture Master and you put all the master photos, migrate them from your iPhoto libraries into your Aperture libraries. Then when you want photos you want the family to be able to access and share, is what you can do is you can export them very simply using drag and drop from Aperture back into an iPhoto library for them to use. So you have control of the masters, you have control of the master database, and you have all the originals untouched by any edits, because any edits you make in Aperture, when you export the files out, it basically renders a JPEG and saves it into iPhoto. Yeah, I mean, I don't have that issue at the moment because I I know that I I keep the the raw data and that iPhoto will keep a copy, which creates the duplication issue, of course. Yeah, well, of course, it eliminates all of that because you only, it only ever yeah. renders off the masters, so you will have much less duplication. Because if you in 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 Aperture, if you want to say you have that crop image of your kids, and then you want um, one with with black and white, and you want one with a, a different kind of crop. It won't. It won't create duplicates. It will just change, create changes to the database and re-render those. It's only when you export them to uh, iPhoto will you, will you create the JPEG copies. Yeah. So your 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 level of duplication, particularly if you then put that photo in multiple iPhoto libraries for any reason, will be much lower. So your disk space consumption will be lower. But as I say, what you, the kind of workflow you could build is you could say, okay, well you you have a family iPhoto library where you give access to people. Um, to the guys in your family, to your to the pictures that you want them to be able to manipulate, print, email, whatever. But actually, you store all the masters in your Aperture library, which is where you've got the big big database of all the pictures. Mm. I quite, uh, I quite, know. I quite, uh, I can understand that process, and I quite, I think I quite yeah. like that that now, process. The key thing about learning Aperture is that really, what you need to do is you do need to spend a little time with it, but actually, it's. It, it, it will only present the stuff you want it to present to you. So, for instance, if you want a fairly simple set of tools like um, crop, maybe a little bit of expo- exposure adjustment, something yeah. like that, you can kind of configure the interface to present you just those things. And you've got to remember you can then access those changes from the browser view. You don't have to go into the, the full like, loops and, and, and full screen view, which looks kind of complicated with the... Basically, when you go into that kind of full screen view, you end up with a, a big page down the side with all these different 
talks yeah, word, about word that comes to mind. Hairy. Yeah, one word yeah. that comes to mind is fiddly for me. Fiddly, yeah. yeah. Whereas, in fact, what you can do is you can, with a little bit of work, you can configure the interface to just have the tools you use most often. And you can then access those tools just from the browser. So then you can stay in the browser view. And the whole thing then becomes very iPhoto-esque in that, in that respect. Um, and I think that's kind of what Apple were wanting to get to, is, is to allow people to configure it to do what they wanted, not more. Whereas the difference is with Lightroom, you can't do that as easily. When you go to the develop module, it will always show you all this stuff that, you know, I mean, I don't, even as a photographer, as somebody who's like quite into photography, when it gets to things like curves and stuff like that, I don't really understand how to use those very well. <clears throat> so, um, you know, I don't really want to see all of that stuff. Aperture kind of allows me just to do the very simple stuff. Oh, and, it, and, and the key thing as well is that I find with Aperture is actually making those changes is much, much quicker than it is in iPhoto. You can do cool stuff like if you create, um, if you take, I, I do a lot of shooting for eBay, for eBay photos. If I take a shot of 20, 30 photos of different products, um, I do them in my utility room. So that normally takes me about 20 minutes. Uh, once I've got the exposure and, and white balance adjustments for the light that I was shooting in, I can then drag and drop those, those settings across all the photos I took in one go, and they're all auto-corrected. Rather than that, with iPhoto, what you'd have to do is you'd have to go and, and twiddle those settings for each photo. So the fact is, you know, if, you've, if you're taking, if you are taking some pictures of the kids for a minute, providing the, the kind of light is the same when you took the pictures, you yeah. can kind of make all those changes to all the photos well, in one well, go, and they're most of the way there. Well, no, know? actually, the, the, the latest version of iPhoto has made that worse because you used to be able to go, you, you could make some um, slight set, you know, setting adjustments, and you could copy those and then paste them onto the next picture or group of pictures. However, that used to be like an icon on the um, the adjust um, part of the when you're editing the photos, and that's gone now. So you have to actually go up and click edit copy, which is a, a real pain. You know they've kind of yeah. lost a part of the ease There's, of use there. So Aperture has kind of like a clone stamp tool that allows you yeah. to clone yeah. the. Yeah. the settings you want and just then applying this a whole load of photos. You know, David, it's, it's, I, I know I need to go across because I mean, I've just had a quick look at the, the size of my, the, the iPhoto um, database size and it's 154 gigabytes. So it's, you know, it's not, it's not, it's incredible. It's quite a large library. And I do know that I've got to cross, got to go across, but I think the most interesting thing for me was the fact that, you know, the workflow that you mentioned about going into Aperture, making your adjustments if you require, and then obviously exporting those into a central iPhoto library, which the others can still, you know, go in and make adjustments if they want to. Um, That's right. It's yeah. the reverse then that I've, you know, I'd be thinking about um, because then they may be putting photos in there, which I've then got to work out that process and make no, sure but they, that... They wouldn't, they wouldn't put photos into Aperture. They would be able to access... No, 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 but they might put photos into iPhoto, which I may then say, well, I want that. So uh, well, and, and, and then it's a matter of just timing and workflow, which I I'd think, have to work uh, Yeah, I think, I think the thing is you can – I'm pretty sure you can set up some um, folder watching in Aperture, so yeah. it will actually automatically yeah. import fo fo uh, photos that are in Good. the folders. Good. Yeah, yeah. So basically you say to people, don't import them into iPhoto, just leave them here, uh, and then next time I fire up Aperture, they'll come in and I can – because what you want to do is obviously you want to do all the tagging and the organisation and that sort of thing in, yeah, definitely. in Aperture. And so, I'm, assu I'm assuming all of the stuff that I've done with keynotes, tagging, star ratings, all the rest of it should do all will be, be imported in Aperture, Aperture yeah. yeah. 
yeah. so, which is an, another benefit from, from, from doing It's a bit more complicated, certainly with older versions of Lightroom. I've not seen the Lewis version, but with the older versions, you wanted to maintain that data. You had to do some jiggery pokery in terms of exporting from my photo and importing sidecar files. And it was kind of complicated. Yeah. So uh, the other thing I'd say as well is, is the... Um, the quality of the online books and things you can generate with Aperture um, is really stunning. I don't know whether it's, I don't think it's, par- whether it's got parity with iPhoto or not, but certainly whenever I've done any of that stuff, well, I, the the, I, I've services. done a couple of books out of iPhoto and I have been quite impressed with them. So, but I'm sure that there's a lot more, um, well, a, a lot more templates, let's say, that you could probably use in Aperture. One of the things I did want to mention, and, and one of the things that I was thinking you was talking about when you were talking about the, the databases and, you know, hanging on to all those libraries, was the fact that, um, and I don't know whether uh, other people have, have thought about doing this, but um, this last holiday, basically, I what I did, and I assume that I could probably do the same in aperture but i'd like to hear your comments on it once i've once i've said what i did was that i basically created a, an iphoto library on the macbook air and i take a lot of photos well that's why yeah. i've got twenty eight thousand photos um and what often happens is i come home and then it's a week before we get to look at the photos because i've gone through each of them and done all any tagging adjustments etc etc what i did this holiday was to create the iphoto library on the macbook air um, and then make the adjust- adjustments on a daily basis. And that's what I use that iPhoto library manager for because iPhoto itself is not very good when it comes to importing and merging your, your databases. And iPhoto library manager will merge all of the, the photos that you've got with any adjustments that you've made into the main iPhoto library, which is one thing which I hadn't used it for before um, and made sure that I could do it before I went away on holiday because that was a workflow that I really enjoyed. Well, what I would do with that is I would put Aperture on the MacBook Air, runs perfectly fine on the MacBook Air, and do the same thing but basically do your adjustments in Aperture. Then when you come to it's trivial to merge Aperture libraries. Uh, I mean, it's just an import process. Yeah, and it's not. It's certainly not trivial on on with iPhoto libraries. Yeah. So with with that, what I would do then is, is in fact, this is this is the workflow I tend to use when I go away. Is uh, run the photos in Aperture, and then when you get back, you just basically import that um, separate Aperture library into your main Aperture library, and then just uh, the file the photos will, will just come across and become part of your main Aperture library with no problem at all. Cool. Cool. So uh, you know that that's that's fine. And, and, and for anybody out there, if you are starting to take lots of photos and you have got a, a MacBook of some sort, it, it's a process. Certainly, if you if you're only using iPhoto and you're you know for twenty dollars and you don't want to go up to Aperture, which is certainly something which it looks like I'm going to be doing in the near future, <laughs> um, iPhoto Library Manager does allow you to do that really successfully. And um, managing your photos when you're away, you know, as long as it's not going to spoil your holiday, it's certainly a lot easier because when you get back, you pop them into your library and then, bang, if you've got an Apple TV, they'll appear on your Apple TV and you, and you can enjoy them straight away, which is yeah. what we did this time. And um, it was a really enjoyable part of the, you know, it finished off the holiday as it were. I, I find that if you've shot photos during the day, the family wants to see them that day. Mm. And they don't really want to be looking at that little tiny screen in the back of your camera to see them. So Agreed. if you import them into your into your, um, your laptop and then show them on the bigger screen, um, they'll be a lot more comfortable seeing that. And uh, you know, I mean, there's slideshows and stuff in there as well, so you can you can slideshow them if you don't want to, if you don't want people to to work with the main aperture interface in case they. 
a bit crazy and kind of do something to it. Yeah. Um, you can do that. You can show the show the photos off in slideshow fairly easily. Yeah, which is uh, exactly what I did in in um, iPhoto as well. Yeah. When when you know when we're away, so exactly exactly the same. Yeah, yeah. So it, you know, it's and and it, another key advantage is now with the Mac App Store, it's it's a lot cheaper than Lightroom. Um, well, that was one thing that was keeping me away from Aperture, to be honest with you. I didn't want to spend that amount of money on something which I, I wasn't sure was going to do what I wanted the way I wanted to do it. Absolutely. Yeah. I, you know, I, I mean, back before the App Store came along, it was it was not, a you know, it, it's, a, it's still good value for what it does, but, it, you know, it's not, it wasn't a particularly cheap program, whereas now it's well, only be, 45 quid. Well, before it was a, you know, think about it, does it do it? Well, you know, uh, am I happy with that? But now it, it is an absolute no-brainer. Well, £45, 45 pounds or, or I think it's $80 in the States. I mean, that, you, you could spend that on a, on a you know, a, a standalone Mac developer program. Uh, you normally don't expect to, to get a professional uh, Apple program for that sort of money. Agreed. No, you can get the you know the iPhoto, iWork type of stuff, but you wouldn't normally expect to get a program this great. This, you know, there are professional photographers, big names who use this program as to manage their entire workflow, and certainly plenty of wedding photographers and everything um, use it use it very heavily as well. So you're you're talking about a really professional program for not very much money. Well, it sounds like I'm going to have a, a segment on uh, one of the podcasts soon, then saying uh, how how I rolled over from iPhoto into uh, Aperture. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely no it's i mean you'd, you'd certainly given me um a lot more food for thought than i had before i've got to admit because before it was just a matter of um, all i'm doing is swapping from one interface to another um for no real benefit but you know you've given me a few more benefits than i uh, perhaps thought about before your mac well thank you for it gas <laughs> Yeah, my, yes, it probably will. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. So anyway, so uh, so if, if anybody um, you know kind of likes to sound that, I mean, both Lightroom and Aperture have uh, free trial versions. So go have a play and, uh, and knock yourself out. They really are great programs. And you, I mean, even if you're just you know a ca- fairly casual photographer, I'm sure you'll get something out of them. So uh, I encourage you to go and. Have a play around, but if you but if you're like me and still a you know iPhoto lover, because I still love the program. I think it's an absolute great program to get on your Mac free of charge. Well, yeah. obviously you pay for your Mac, so it's not really free of charge. But um, and and you're looking at some way of you know you know perhaps you don't take twenty thousand that you're quite happy with iPhoto. Go over Fat Cat Software and have a look at iPhoto Manager because yeah. uh, that's that's helped me get to where I am now, I suppose, and now's my tipping point. Yeah, I, I don't want to diss iPhoto because you're absolutely right. It is a great program. Um, it's just you know I think you're uh, you're approaching the edge of the envelope in terms of its <laughs> capabilities with uh, twenty thousand plus photos and more to come. Yes, you I'm don't sure you, you don't you don't want me hearing uh, to hear me on the MyMac uh, podcast with guys saying no, the Mac Mini's crashed. It's probably my <laughs> iPhoto library. Well, <laughs> what with what with Guy and his, his eternally crashing Skype connection. Uh, Garage band issues. The last thing you want is another, another machine falling over. But I would imagine your uh, your Mac Mini must quail every time it, it, it sees via your internet connection you go on a holiday again. You book your flight. Too. Yeah, yeah. I, I think you're right because it, it, iPhoto does take a little time to open. But once I'm in there, it, it it's. I mean, I have got eight gigs of RAM, so that probably helps. Yeah, yeah. but it does it does quail a little bit. I must admit when I first open iPhoto. Yeah, I know twenty thousand. Home photos. I'm going to talk about a first world problem. 
Yeah. Sorry about that, folks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is a bit, but um, you know, I'm sure you're. Uh, <laughs> well, I bet I bet your friends really enjoy it when you ring up and say, "Come over and see the photos from the holiday." No, well, we don't do that. It'll only take two days. Yeah, we don't do that. What we do is they come in and um, the girls say, "Oh, we, do you want to see the photos?" And they can't refuse the girls. You see. Oh, uh, right. I see. And then you know. I'm, let them go into the room, put the Apple TV on, you know, get it yeah, up. No, lock, up they lock come. the door so nobody Yeah, that's right, out. that's right. Get the dog standing <laughs> by the door. Get back in there. I always found, find with my friends, they find it very off-putting when they come around and see photos and they find a, a, a projection set up and a lectern <laughs> and a teleprompter. <laughs> Ted does Ted's football. <laughs> oh, dear. I'm going to look forward to my so visit to you when you show me all your photos. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, so How many did you take this holiday? Yeah. Oh, 6,421. <laughs> Make sure you fill out your survey forms before you go. <laughs> yes, yes, we have put you up for the night. <laughs> so anyway, ah, oh, the joys of uh, the joys of family photography, eh? Fantastic. Yeah. Okay, well, uh I think uh, on, on that note, we'll uh we'll let everyone beaver off and go and uh, download their copies of Aperture and Lightroom and uh figure out what's going on Definitely. um lightroom important to say because we are a we are a wider church here that um that lightroom at well aperture is an apple only program lightroom is available on the pc and very fine it is too so uh, don't feel you're excluded uh, if you're not one of our one of us crazy mac fanboys <laughs> yeah sorry <laughs> sorry about that <laughs> <laughs> that's quite all right nobody will hold it against us nowadays not like the old days when no. they thought we were all a bit no weird. not not when they used to pull up the cross <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're talking like we're old Mac fans. We're both of us have only been at it for a few years. That's right, but it, it well, let's not go down that. Avenue. Yeah, no, no, let's not. Otherwise, we'll have to continue that on your other show. Yes, I'll do that. I'll do that with yeah. Guy. <laughs> Fair enough. Then, well, on that on that note, everybody, I hope you've enjoyed um, this uh, this uh, show and the replacement for for Tim for this week. Uh, those of you who were listening last week will know that he's not around next week either. Um, I've not figured out what I'm doing yet. <laughs> surprise surprise um but uh, i'll either get uh, i'll get another guest on or alternatively I'll, I'll, do, I'll do something solo and uh, don't worry i'm in control of the editing now so i'll make sure you don't get the uh, the weird breaks and the no music and all of that i quite enjoyed that one <laughs> it, it was kind of amusing i think what was the most amusing about it was tim's reaction when i told him <laughs> you know <laughs> i can imagine yeah was good yeah. you you get out of your executive bathroom tim come on do some i know work. yeah come come and uh come, come and come, leave it on the shop floor that's right yeah come and work with the little guys for a little bit <laughs> <laughs> mind you little guys you know when i deal with guy he's six foot plus yeah i know well he makes everyone feel like a little guy <laughs> but yes yeah, yeah tim come down with the peons and <laughs> the commoners oh we're back to royal wedding again <laughs> Yes, yeah, we it, uh, and that ends your circle of life. Absolutely, yes. So, uh, for those of you who are going to enjoy the royal wedding tomorrow, um, I hope it doesn't rain. And for those of us in Britain, we fully expect it to. So, on that note, good evening, everyone, and uh, I'll catch you next week. Thanks a lot, guys. Cheers. Bye.